Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Roy Paul. Thank you for tuning into another edition of The Gift of Freedom. Amanda Smith, this entire episode is being dedicated to her honor. She's a remarkable and world-renowned African-American, establishing the first orphanage in Chicago, Illinois, for African-American children. You can read more about her biography online, Amanda Smith, but at the time of her death in 1915, the Chicago defendant called the well-traveled Amanda Barry Smith, quote, the greatest woman that this race has ever given to the world. So the years following the Civil War, she followed paths which led her to prominence as a black woman and gained visibility in the Women's Christian Temperance Union and was closely connected to work of the Colored Women's Clubs. There's more information about her online, Amanda Smith, uh, and we encourage you as an educational program to tune in uh, to the Internet and find out more about her. Tonight, you're going to meet Jamal Robinson, founder of the Jamal Robinson Child Welfare Reform Initiative. He's doing amazing work trying to uh, advocate for those in the foster care system uh, and has become a very successful and renowned welfare reform advocate. Jamal Robinson, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much uh, for having me. It's a pleasure to be uh, on. Yeah, so, so talk to uh, our listeners about the work that you're doing. But I want to first start off with how you got involved with this work, and that was through your personal experience. Thank you so much. Uh, again, I grew up in the New York City foster care system. I know all too well the challenges that youth in foster care face. After spending 21 years of my life, my entire uh, young adulthood in foster care, um, due to a mother who uh, conceived me with uh, drugs and alcohol in my system, I understood uh, the uh, unique set of challenges that youth in foster care uh, face. Um, I want you to talk about the uh, campaign with Mayor Bloomberg and the campaign in May for foster care months. The campaign in May is, uh, is our annual campaign to raise awareness to the need for stability for youth in foster care. Um, again, that's our you know annual push that where we are going to do ads on subways and buses and really really push toward you know identifying those homes and those uh, potential prospects uh, for teens. Um, it's also an initiative that we really uh, look to bring people together around this issue. So we bring uh, the, the not-for-profit community, uh, you know, around it. And we ask also celebrities to join our movement in, in helping us, of course, find that level of stability for teens and foster care. Mm-hmm. And, and you talk about the event that you have this year in May surrounding uh, foster care month. Sure. So th- this last May we had Ju Young Chang who is really the highest ranking child welfare official in the country. She was appointed by President Obama uh, to really uh, really provide some level of uh, reform uh, within the U.S. Children's Bureau to really meet the needs, in particular, of the nation's youth in foster care. Um, and so we were honored to have her as our keynote speaker. We also had the administrative judge of the New York City Family Court uh, of course, Judge uh, Mendelssohn, and, uh, and a litany of others who really uh, share our commitment, executive directors and CEOs from various not-for-profit organizations, uh, whether it's Children's Defense Fund, New York Urban League, uh, YMCA, uh, you know, and so they all joined us um, in 
calling and how, you know, on the city to really move um, in the direction of finding placement and stability for youth in foster care. Right. How did you get Michael Bloomberg, former mayor of New York City, to join in your campaign? I think it came out of my, well, I know, it came out of my uh, outreach. Uh, we, we, uh, when I called for reform in the city, the mayor asked, um, of course, for me to come down to City Hall after learning about some of the experiences in, in, the, in the route of which I was, you know, calling for reform. And out of that, we were able to kind of, of course, um, talk about some of the issues, and I continued to advocate. And so <laughs> it all came about in, in, that, in that order. Mm-hmm. And, and, where, and talk about where you received some of your, your funding from, because uh, I'm going to highlight the organizations that are supporting your work as well. Sure. The Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, uh, which is the Wendy Foundation, has been tremendously great. Um, and uh, in addition to that, of course, Macy's um, uh, has been a, a, a great partner of the New York City Administration for Children Services uh, as well. And so those are a few of them that have played a significant part um, in us, uh, of course, doing the important work that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would be some of your advice to kids, particularly those in the foster care system, who may be a bit distraught with their current situation? I would say to any child in the New York City foster care system that this is a meantime experience. This does not last always, and while the pain may be great now, your ability to do greater um, is, is on the horizon. Exercise your gifts, your talents, and your abilities. Use your story as a platform to uh, initiate change. Do the best you can now um, to make the best life for yourself. Uh, and take it in consideration that what you have been through uh, is only to prepare you for where you are going and the change that you can create using what you have been given. While it may have been unfortunate, um, while it may and sometimes be sad and lonely, you have something to contribute, and that something can change the trajectory of other children's lives forever. Yeah, and I love your story because it comes from personal experience because through your foster care experience and after you left, you ended up at one point being homeless. Well, Roy, I am grateful. I am grateful because... I can tell you that PTSD is up. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder is up uh, 25% higher than any war veteran and, and anyone coming from Iraq in this country uh, amongst youth in foster care. Um, and so uh, not to have PTSD. Wait, wait, say that again. I want to make sure I get that. Post-traumatic stress is up 25% for kids in foster care? than it is, and, and, and this is nationwide, higher than any war veteran, uh, anyone coming from Iraq, anyone who has been overseas really? fighting for the country. Absolutely. Um, so, and, so according to the statistics, there are more, there is a higher rate of post-traumatic stress in kids coming out of foster care than those living in the war? Absolutely. Um, and so you find... Yeah, yeah, and and, and and that's that's what we and that's what you see. You know, you know, so many young people have been discharged for so many years. All right, so so you you were finishing up the story, but but I want to just in case it got muddled in, in some of the communication um, in the beginning of the interview. Now that we've got a very good reception from you, 
uh, and we'll edit this all together, so don't worry. But I want you to talk about how you got into the foster care system and what was your personal experiences getting in. Well, I grew up in the New York City foster care system uh, due to uh, my parents being on drugs. Uh, my mother was uh, an alcoholic, um, and she um, had drugs in her system when I was conceived, and as a result, I entered the foster care system. My grandmother, who had eight boys, two girls of her own, took in me and my sister and done the best she could in raising us up to a certain point. Unfortunately, uh, while pursuing uh, the process of adoption, she got overwhelmed, and going back and forth to court, she had a nervous breakdown. It progressively gotten worse, and my once happy home became very dysfunctional. I was placed in a uh, foster boarding home with a stranger. Uh, one home uh, more dysfunctional than the next. And while it was unfortunate, I knew what it was to go through uh, and get involved in the criminal justice system. From there, I retreated uh, to homelessness and destitution, sleeping on trains and buses. Um, and so those, those set of challenges uh, really uh, you know, took me by storm. And, and it was unfortunate for me because as I began to matriculate into greater adulthood, I didn't know that I could go to college. I didn't know that I can. There were so many different supports and resources out there. And so six months shy of my 21st birthday, I, you know, with tears rolling down my face outside of New York City Children's Services, uh, on October 6, 2008, I launched this initiative. It was a list of six recommendations on how the city can improve its service delivery to youth and foster care. Um, and uh, that's how we began, and, and three years later, established it as an organization and, you know, finding creative ways and really innovative ways to bring about child welfare reform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want you to talk about your mentor. I know that you've got a few of them, but I know that there was a one particular person that was very special to you, and that was Judge Mendelssohn from the Queen Family Court System, correct? Yes, uh, actually she uh, serves now on our advisory council for the organization. Uh, Judge Mendelson was my judge uh, at that particular time. She was uh, in Queens uh, Family Court, and she presided over my case uh, just the last time I went uh, before the court, um, which I was upset with the system. I was ranting, I was raving, I was broken, and I remember when they said, uh, call EMS. I was so I was so upset because I thought that you know to to, to put someone in in the hospital was a disservice. You know, most young people go through the challenge of brokenness, um, and and however they handle it, we have to be you know uh, we have to empathize and allow them to get through their process. And she took her time. Uh, she took her time, and she she made sure they didn't call EMS, but she told me, she said, Jamel, you're going to do great things. And I didn't understand what that meant. I didn't understand because my pain was so great at that time. Uh, but what I did uh, through that was I found my voice. Um, and I remember years ago, I couldn't walk or I couldn't talk. Um, and I remember I when I couldn't even, you know, did not have a voice. And I told God, I said, God, if you ever raise me up to be a young man of influence, my vow to you is that I would use my influence to impact by giving back. And I done just that. Full circle, Judge Mendelson became the administrative judge of the New York City Family Courts. And from there, we have built a close working relationship. Um, so, yes. That's a wonderful story, Jamel. Uh, give us a little bit of information on how people can find out more about your work. Sure. Uh, you can uh, join us on the web at jrcwri.org. 
That's J-R-C-W-R-I.org. Or the We Deserve Love 2 campaign. Um, it's an initiative, of course, the extension of our work for stability for teens in foster care. And you can visit that website at We Deserve Love 2, T-O-O.org. So it's We Deserve Love 2.org. Mm-hmm. Are there any upcoming events that people can be tuned into? Uh, sure. We are uh, actually uh, working on some uh, initiative uh, and outreach uh, for uh, National, uh, National Adoption Month, which is in November. Um, and so they can certainly uh, tune in on our website and learn more about our upcoming initiatives. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you get to actually incorporate the organization and put it all together? What was that point when you said, now let's map this out? Well, six months shy, my 21st birthday on the verge of, well, just, you know, surviving a stint of homelessness, sleeping on trains and buses. I elected to start the organization. I, I did not know at that time it was an organization. It was just an initiative, uh, six recommendations on how the system can improve uh, the service delivered to youth and foster care is how the Jamel Robinson Child Welfare Reform Initiative started. October 6, 2008, I, outside of New York City Children's Services, I uh, created this, you know, press conference uh, to really call for reform uh, in the system based on what I felt the system did as a result of me, which failed me, um, you know, because while in foster care, I wind up becoming homeless because the older your child gets, the more difficult Hey, Jamal. Hey, Jamal. Yeah. Uh, one quick second. The reception that we're getting from you in terms of the feedback uh, is a little troublesome. Um, I don't know if you're in a bad area or if you are speaking away from your phone. Okay. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Uh, so if you could just pick up where you left off. Six months shy of my 21st birthday, I realized all that was available to me while in foster care, things that I thought could have, you know, better prepared me for life and uh, what, what that looked like, you know, as I, you know, began to transition into adulthood. It was very difficult. Uh, it was difficult for a young person, uh, you know, a teen in particular uh, in the New York City foster care system because the older a child gets, the more difficult it is to find them placement. And so it was very difficult for this uh, city at that time to find, you know, young adults placement. Um, most, you know, foster parents would love to take in uh, you know, children, the babies, starting to continue to find ways to improve the system, uh, thereby establish the Jamel Robinson Child Welfare Reform Initiative as an organization. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have any stats that you can give in terms of percentages of, uh, you know, adolescents or adults in the kid, in the foster care system um, or any numbers surrounding the age of children that parents want to adopt? Sure. Uh, apparently, we have just under uh, 13,000 youth in foster care here in the city of New York. And uh, sorry. Um, and we have, uh, on average, teens in foster care. We have teens between the age of 13 and 19. We have 4,000 teens in foster care currently uh, in need of homes. Mm-hmm. And has your organization done any work uh, around the foster care to prison pipeline? Have we done anything? For example, uh, if you were to poll um, many of the kids who are in prison under a certain age bracket, you know, say like 18 to 35, 
would you find that many of the youngsters that get involved in the prison system come from backgrounds where they didn't have loving homes or uh, where they were in the foster care system and couldn't find placement? I mean, is there a direct correlation between, in other words, I guess I'm trying to find out what the, some of the negative correlations are for some of the kids who can't find homes. Where do they typically end up in our society? Uh, great question. You know, most young Jews who are in foster care, if they did not find placement, they had a greater risk of retreating to homelessness and destitution. You know, you find on average 1,100 young people transition from foster care each year to lives of uncertainty, pain, and marginalization. If they're not connected to a significant, uh, if they do not have a significant connection to an adult, if they are not, you know, they foster, if they do not have a mentor, you continue to find young people, or if they have not been, you know, in a good foster home or, or a steady foster home or have been adopted, you find that they not just retreat to homelessness, but you find them, uh, you know, entering the juvenile, the juvenile justice system or the criminal justice system. I mean, and, and this is all too common. Um, and, and I think that's because, again, Young people resort to that which they know and from the communities in which they come from. You have, you know, predominantly you have African-American and Latino uh, young men and uh, women who are, make up the, the body of the child welfare system. Um, and so, you know, you, you find those challenges, uh, you know, the neighborhoods that they come from is broken. Um, and again, you know, the system is doing its best. I, I, I believe it has done better in recent years. Um, as, as to how we plan for youth who, who transition from foster care. But again, it's one of those um, uh, challenges that, you know, you see, you know, it's kind of iffy. Right. And what happens typically when children age out of foster care, especially if they don't have a home to go to or don't come from a, an actual stable environment within foster care? Well, again, you find them entering, if they do not have housing, um, at the age of majority, you find them, you know, retreating, you know, to, to homelessness. Whether they go to the homeless uh, uh, shelter, uh, the system, you find them on, you know, on the public welfare system through HRA. But the goal really is that, you know, we can connect youth to families. All right. Yeah. Um, talk about some of the, the work that you do to address those specific issues that you just mentioned. Well, again, we are, we are currently uh, working on an initiative uh, through the We Deserve Love Two campaign. As an extension of our organization, it's our stability initiative that focuses on identifying good foster and adoptive homes for teens in the New York City foster care system. So currently what we do is we uh, identify, you know, what we do outreach around raising awareness. We have our annual rally, which is, uh, you know, called uh, attention to the need for stability for youth in foster care to foster and adoptive homes, which is every May um, in commemoration of uh, National Foster Care Awareness Month. We also are working on a, uh, a booklet entitled, Will You Say Yes? It's, it's going to be a recruitment tool to really encourage existing foster parents uh, to take in a team and others educating the public. Okay, very well. Well, thank you so much. Uh, sometimes I get confused between calling you Jamal Robinson or preacher Jamal Robinson because you have the flair of a Baptist preacher. Uh, but uh, that is not, as of this moment, your calling. Um, but I do want to thank you for coming on and sharing with our listeners about your story. 
Right. 